If you're scoping out a new job that's come your way and you're wondering whether it's a good idea or not, there's a few red flags that you should be keeping an eye out for. So if the job you are scoping out has any of the red flags that we talk about in today's episode, run. Let's get on with the show. Hello and welcome back to another episode of the Video Editing Podcast with me, your host, Shiny. Hello. And um, hello to those of you watching live on YouTube and on Facebook. Um, if you're catching the podcast, head on over to YouTube or Facebook and you'll be able to see when the next live is happening. And you will be able to join the conversation as it happens. So... Don't forget to subscribe so that you don't miss any of the lives as they happen. So today on the video editing podcast, we are going to be talking about red flags to be keeping an eye out for. And I speak about these mostly from experience from myself, from 15 years as a, a professional editor in London working on commercials and documentaries but also from some of my peers who've gone this through this and I've seen it and so learn from their mistakes and know what to avoid so everything that you will hear in today's episode is based on industry knowledge and I would love to share that with you so that you don't get burnt because it's very easy to get taken advantage of when you are either just starting out or even after a few years of practice and you're building out your freelance career. So without further ado, the first thing I'd like to talk about is buyouts. A buyout is essentially when a client comes to you and says, we have this much money. Let's say, for example, we have $1,000. We would love for you to cut this video for us or these videos for us. Sounds great, but a buyout means essentially the client holds all the power and there's a good chance that they are trying to take advantage of you. And from experience, most of these types of clients, they will try and run through many different layers of feedback. There are many different rounds and rounds and rounds of feedback. And quite often they don't even know what they want. So whilst the buyout itself may not be the best idea from a financial perspective, quite often the clients that are coming to you and offering you a buyout are have low budget and perhaps are inexperienced when it comes to giving you feedback and direction in how to work on an edit. So that means you're doing more work <clears throat> for less money and you'll be doing more rounds of changes and the client itself will quite often more than not be challenging to work with uh, and you probably find that it won't be your best work now there are a, a few exceptions I do want to point out that a buyout is not the same as sponsorship so quite often a content creator will have 
uh, might get offers for sponsorship. So for them to create a video to post in their feed that talks about a, you know, a brand's product or a brand. And it could be that they want to show off a product. It could be that they want to share the brand. Um, or it could be they work in collaboration. So these brands might reach out to content creators and offer sponsorship. We'd like to give you this much money and we want to be in this video. Or we just want to have our name shouted, shouted out in your video. That's different to a buyout because with the sponsorship, you're working with a brand to create something together. And quite often you are in charge of the content that's being created because it should gel with the rest of the content that you create. So sponsorship is not the same as a buyout. And a buyout is just one sum of money. We want you to, to cut this video for us. This is all the budget we have. Can you do it? And there's another exception, which is super, super low budget films. So indie filmmakers who literally have for the entire film, $2,000, for example, and they can only offer the edit $500. But everybody has to start somewhere. And so quite often these indie filmmakers will have a very small budget as a token, a gesture of thanks. So they don't actually work for free. Some of the same things do apply in that case though, because a low budget and an indie filmmaker will not have the same experience as a client who is willing to pay full day rate. And someone who's paying full day rate will have done this many, many more times and know exactly what they want from an edit, be able to give you direct feedback on how to improve your edit. And there won't be lots of back and forth and big question marks, which is incredibly exhausting as an editor. Not having direction from the client is exhausting. So that is the buyout. If a client comes straight to you with a buyout and that's the first thing they want to offer you, then red flag. Now, if they, if they happen to come with any of these other red flags that are coming up, then you know to run. One red flag caution, two red flags run. So the first red flag, buyouts. The second red flag is a long form project without a treatment. So a treatment would be essentially a document, a PDF that outlines the vision for the film. Treatments are often made for when working with brands to um, show the brand what, you, what the filmmaker intends to create. And um, they're also created when it comes to music videos in order to pitch and win the job. Same with commercials as well. Documentaries, less so. They may have a one pager um, without images. So a treatment generally has images, reference images. And then a one pager will just be a document, a written document outlining who the people we are going to meet, what the story's about in the documentary and um, the, uh, you know, overarching story arc. 
So if you have a long, long form project without a treatment or even a one pager, that is a sure sign that the filmmaker uh, and the production company and the director and everyone involved hasn't really thought through the project. They've just gone out, shot some footage, and then they intend to give it to you, the editor, to cut. Here you go. Here's a bunch of stuff we shot. Can you please fix this? Or can you can you please make an, a video from this? And that puts a huge amount of pressure on you. And there's a good chance that they do have an idea of what they want in their head and they're not able to verbalize it. So what happens is you create a few cuts, you go through some different rounds of changes on, and the director or the filmmaker or the producer, whoever is um, feeding back creative feedback to you will say, I'll know it when I see it. And that just means changes upon changes upon changes, rounds and rounds and rounds of feedback. And it's exhausting for you. So if somebody comes to you, especially with a long form project, without a treatment or a one pager, then I would definitely run. I wouldn't even look for a second red flag. I would just say, no, this is probably a shit show. Don't even start it. Now, the reason I say long form projects is because I'm kind of, I want to disqualify social content because quite often social content is super rapid turnover and you don't have time to create a treatment or a one pager. So take that in, into consideration. When I say long form project, I don't mean one hour. I mean anything that is essentially not social media content, super short 60 second content. I've worked on films that are two and a half minutes that had a treatment. And so whilst that is not technically a long form project, I'm throwing that into this definition for now. So any project that is several minutes long or longer without a treatment or a one pager, red flag. If a producer or a direct director comes to you and says, I've got this amazing project. I think you'd be perfect for it. I'm looking for an editor and, um, you take a look at their website, their personal website or their portfolio website. And it looks a bit, shall we say unfinished? It looks a bit cheap, looks a bit badly designed. That for me is a red flag because that person has not, doesn't care enough about presenting their work. So why would they, you know, I, I assume they would give the same amount of due care to the films that they make. And it's been a very good assumption up until this day. Artists, filmmakers who present their work beautifully have very beautifully made films. It's just a really, really good correlation up until this point. Now, of course, it doesn't mean that a beautiful website means the 
film and the filmmaker are incredibly talented and going to be beautiful films. No, that's not the case. However, a terrible portfolio and a terrible website generally has meant the filmmaker and the process is also a bit terrible. So for me, that's a red flag. If when you are handed the footage, someone comes up to you, hands you a hard drive, and you've been given the brief. The brief says it's a two and a half minute video and we need it to go onto social media. It's gonna be long form social media post and maybe on YouTube. Two and a half minutes of interviews as well as going in between locations and going on a journey of discovery. And then you get the drive and you go through the drive and for, for a two and a half minute video, they've shot over 20 hours of footage. That's a red flag right there because it shows that the person has no idea of the editing process. The filmmaker or the camera operator or the director doesn't understand the editing process, what's needed for your edit, so they've just decided to overshoot. And in, in most cases, that means that they haven't put a huge amount of thought into the edit. They haven't put a huge amount of thought into the story that is being told, the dialogue that should be included, and the narrative structure of the film. If they've just gone and shot everything and gone, here you go, they're expecting you to create a film and they've just gone out and shot anything that they can see. That is a red flag. It's not a deal breaker because I've worked on many of those films and sometimes the camera operator is so bad, you are happy to have that much footage because you can actually put together a two minute film. Without that many hours, it would have been trash because half of the shots are unusable. So it's not the kind of project that you should walk away from immediately, but it's definitely a bit of a red flag and something that you should be cautious of. Now for two and a half video, sorry, for a two and a half minute video, 10 hours of footage is okay. Ideally a bit less because it means that the filmmaker has really thought about every single shot that they need the entire process on what the edit, the finished edit is gonna look like. That means your job will be so much easier. The questions that they've asked the interviewees, for example, will be straight and to the point. The B-roll that they have is exactly what you need and it's already been thought through. And as a result, it will mean that the editing process is faster. However, that's not always the case. Sometimes it's up to you, quite often it's up to you, to build a story on the timeline, build it in the edit. And so you might need a lot of footage to work with. If you do have a lot of footage to work with, there are some ways to make your life easier. There's some things to keep in mind to make the process of cutting that down, finding only the gems hidden, within the, the haystack, hidden within the mine, 
that is your footage. And um, if you're interested in learning those, then there is a live workshop on March the 31st within Unspice Pro of how to find all the nuggets when you have tons and tons of footage so that you're not wasting time going through absolutely everything in order to build the best edit. So that's on March the 31st within Unsplice Pro. So head to unsplice.com forward slash pro to learn more about how to join up and join the other splicers in the community. So if they have overshot, that's a bit of a red flag, but not a deal breaker. I would say that's a warning sign. <clears throat> I've worked on many, many videos where they have shot way too much. And in fact, if you're working on documentaries, especially news orientated documentaries, quite often they'll, the only option they have is to shoot. If you're in a war zone, for example, all you can do is just shoot what is around you. And, and then it's the editor's job to find the best bits and create the best story using that. <clears throat> So it's not always possible to only shoot exactly what is needed. But if you're doing short form content, certainly commercial content, branded content, and um, I would say two degree commercials, then you ideally would love to have the filmmaker shoot only exactly what they need. Those are the perfect jobs, but they don't always exist. And so once you have got the footage, you've gone through the footage, you have an idea of what it is that is needed. However, you're kind of wondering to yourself, well, am I making, how long is this film going to be? How many versions am I going to make? Am I going to make just the one 16 by nine version? Where is it going to live? Do I need to make a one by one version, a nine by 16 version? Is it going to be two and a half minutes or can I go over? Is it 20 minutes? Do I need to add breaks? If you haven't been told this information by this point, it's a bit of a red flag because the producer working with you should have already specified that. And if they haven't by this point, then that producer may be inexperienced. There is a chance, of course, that they just have a very heavy load and they thought they'd briefed you or they thought it was in a document and it wasn't. So it's not always the case, but it is something that should be taken into consideration. If you haven't been told the delivery specs, how many versions, the resolution of the versions, the uh, dimensions, all this information is kind of pivotal from the moment that you, before you start, because you need to know how long this story is going to be. And if you haven't got that information, then you may run into some problems. So yeah, it's a bit of a warning red flag, that one. Let's call it an amber flag. Uh, but you can use your best judgment to decide if that is actually the case. And before we've even started the process, let's imagine you are meeting up with the producer or the filmmaker and before the job is even started they've they've emailed loads of editors as they will 
find out who's available. Once they've found out the people who are available, bring them on for, bring them on for a chat, whether that's in person or whether that's over um, a video call, most likely video call. And you speak to them and they say, we're speaking to loads of candidates. That's a bit of a red flag. Whether they are, whether they tell you that via video or via email, if they say we're speaking to loads of candidates, then that is a clear sign that they just don't trust anyone. They don't trust you. They don't trust anyone on the list. So they're scat doing the scattergun approach, reaching out to as many editors as possible. And um, that is the, that's the approach that one would have if they really don't have anyone that they normally work with, or they don't trust anyone. If they don't have anyone that they work with and, don't, and they don't trust anyone, that means that they could be a nightmare to work with. And they've burnt through all the good editors that they know. So they're reaching out to loads of candidates just to see which ones they want to work with. Ideally, in an ideal world, producers would reach out to a very, very small handful let's say no more than six, but probably about three or four. Uh, that is the ideal. That is a, that is a very standard approach. And if they say they're speaking to loads, it's just that one word, loads. Loads of candidates to find the best one. Then yeah, that's a bit of a red flag. Sounds like they're probably not the best people to work with or they're very un, you know badly organized. And there's always that conversation right at the beginning when they reach out to you and they say, oh, we are looking for loads of editors. Oh, we're looking for an editor. Here's the job, da, 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 da. And you, they ask the question, what's your rate? So you respond, what's your budget? And then they respond back, well, what's your rate? then you respond back, well, what's your budget? Because your rate can vary depending on their budget because it, your rate depends on the value that you are bringing to the production. If this is a high, if this is a high school project, you know, and you are cutting something for someone's high school reel, it really doesn't have a, you know, it doesn't bring a, as huge amount of value or as much value as say if you were cutting a commercial for coca-cola and if you you know if you cut a co commercial for coca-cola and you fuck that up there's a huge amount amount more on the line to your work and getting that right because if the edit doesn't sing then they've just wasted millions on the shoot on the planning, pre-production, creative, ad agency, da, 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 da. all of this is a waste if the edit is terrible. So the value difference is huge. And that's why your rate varies depending on the budget, because the budget of the client's film is very indicative of how much they value the film. 
Coca-Cola, for example, could even just create, you know, $1,000 content. And they do. And it will be very, very low budget. And they won't really put much thought into it. So those, the budget is an indicator of how much the brand or the company values the output of this, <clears throat> of this film. And so that's why you can change your rate depending on their budget. And if their budget, if they're not willing to share their budget, then either it's super, super low and they're trying to lowball you as much as possible, um, or they haven't really put much thought into, you know, into budgeting and how much is needed for the edit, which could be a sign that they are less experienced or it could be that they just want to lowball you. So that's a bit of a red flag. I'm going to say that's an amber flag, actually, because there are many producers I've met who would just stand their ground, absolutely will not share their budget, and um, and then you come, you know, you end up in this standoff. And you know they're not they're not terrible. The job is not terrible, but it is kind of a, like a warning flag. So I would say, at least fifty percent of the time, in my experience when they've been unable or unwilling to share their budget, then the project has been a little bit of a shit show. So just bear that in mind when they come to you. Of course, these are not exhaustive. These are not all of the red flags that you should be keeping an eye out for, but they are some of the main red flags that I can fit into a 25 minute podcast episode. Now, of course, if you need some help weaning down 20 hours of footage to two minutes, then please come join the workshop on March the 31st within Unsplice Pro because we are sharing industry knowledge. And if you haven't learnt industry practices yourself, if you are purely self-taught, then there are many things, many techniques that you are missing out that will improve your workflow. Techniques that are taught within the industry and expected of you when you work your way up to higher tier editing projects. So head to unspice.com forward slash pro to learn more about that. Thank you so much for joining me. By the way, happy International Women's Day. Special shout out to all the wives, the mums, the daughters. I want to express my gratitude because um, internationally, International Women's Day is celebrated differently in different countries. Some may not give it as much credence. And I know that in the U here in the UK, um, it doesn't have quite as much significance in the calendar as many other countries. However, I would like to say a big, huge, happy International Women's Day and a shout out to all the female video editors because you guys rock. And I feel like, I well, I know for sure that I know more female video editors than I do male video editors. And so 
I find it really interesting and eye-opening when I look at the the numbers for the unsplice audience, but also the, the numbers that you'll see in surveys, for example, the Blue Collar Post Collective survey. They found that it's 60% male, 40% female, roughly, um, up and down a little bit. And it's strange because my experience has been the complete opposite. I would say it's been 60% female and 40% male. So if you are part of, if you are a female video editor, then I would say if you do feel at all in the minority <clears throat> among video editors, it's not really the case. It may be statistically, but you know, I would say certainly when it comes to the industry, I think it may be skewered when it comes to creators and there being a dominant, you know, <clears throat> male creators being more dominant. But I would say in the industry, in my experience anyway, there are a huge amount of female editors and by no means are they at all any minority. They keep this industry ticking. And video editing used to be, back in the manual days, a specifically or predominantly female role because women had better dexterity, they had better hand-eye coordination and could work the film physically better than any man could. And um, it's great to see that it's still an, an attractive career for women and so happy International Women's Day. Long may you reign and be fantastic editors. Thank you very much and we'll be back next week. Thank you for listening. Bye.